0: Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining us today is certified financial planner and founder of Cartier Financial, Kelly Cartier. Thank you for joining me, Kelly.
1: Thanks for having me, Amy. I'm excited to be here.
0: So excited to see what you have to share with our audience, because I know personally that they're going to get some real value out of this podcast. So let's jump right in and start in my favorite spot, which is to allow our audience to learn a little bit about you, your journey, and in particular, how you got into the financial services industry.
1: It started at an early age. I know I've listened to some of your podcasts, and it seems like some advisors get into it by chance. I knew, gosh, probably when I was in my early teens that I wanted to do this eventually. It started, and I don't I don't know if you know this, but my dad got dementia in his early to mid 40s, and he died when he was 51. And my uncle had been his guardian, and he had set aside his social security for several years. My brother and I both got an inheritance of about $14,000. And my mom, to her credit, took me to the bank, and I learned all about CDs. And back then, CDs were paying double digits. It was an easy way to make money on your money. So I um, got a really early introduction on how money can work for you. And a few years later, she lost her second husband and was introduced to a lady that did uh, mutual funds and insurance. And so I was introduced to mutual funds. And again, that was in the mid 80s and they had a great run. I ended up buying my first stock at 17, and it took a little while. I had a detour and worked at a preschool that I loved while I got myself through school, but I was fortunate. I was working with an advisor at AG Edwards, and she called me and said, the branch manager is retiring. If you want to get in, now's the time, and I got in and had the interview and got started back in 1997
0: couple of follow-up questions to that story. First of all, I'm sorry to hear about your father. I did not know that story. Yet. And this is what I love about these podcasts is even though you and I are good friends and I know a lot about your life, you don't usually sit around going all the way back to when we were 12 sometimes. So, um, you know, that's awesome. But, you know, what's other, what else is interesting and I picked up as I was listening to you is that this was your mother realizing at a time when still that way today in some cases but certainly back then women weren't usually highly well even if they did know about the financial side of things going on in the household they weren't the decision makers in many cases what do you think drove your mother I mean where did she do you have any idea where she picked up
1: on I need to take you to the bank and you need to start learning about how to do this? That's a great question. I am going to say it goes back to my grandmother. Um, she worked for Pete Marwick back when they were one of the big accounting firms. And my grandmother was the one who initially took me to the bank and helped me set up a savings account. And that was when I was for elementary school. So I think my mom kind of. I don't know whether it was through osmosis or what, but she picked up on that and. I I give her a lot of credit. I think my mom and my grandmother are a big part of the reason I'm here.
0: We always celebrate in the world, and our industry, the women who maybe forged an early path in whatever journey it might be. Um, If For whatever reason, they become quote unquote famous. But I think what we forget is there are probably hundreds of thousands of women out there that have been forging paths in tiny, smaller ways that never hit, you know, the big public view that lead to people um, such as yourself becoming really, really successful. So that's uh, a phenomenal story that we should all keep in mind. And then the other follow-up question um, I wanted to ask is, um, you talked about the start at AG Edwards. So you've been, you know, in the industry for quite a bit of time, but at some point you decided to go your own way. You decided to form your own firm, get into the independent space, open up. I think maybe in two thousand nine, mm-hmm. right? Yep, yes, we just you know. celebrated not that long ago. A yes, big milestone for your company. So, talk about that. What led you to that moment, and was it intimidating? What helped you get
1: through it? Oh, um, it was. It was challenging. I had one call with one of the people at the home office that I had to go to for approvals and the home office had agreed to reimburse a client for some fees that we didn't know under the new platform existed and when it came down to actually reimbursing the client they reneged and to me that was I wasn't going to go back to those clients and say oh you know they told us that they were going to do this but now they're not and in that conversation the person kind of implied that I had not divulged all the information. And at that time, I felt like she was questioning my integrity. And at the same time, I was questioning hers. Well, as fate would have it, about 30 minutes later, I got a call from a recruiter from a small firm in Boston that was an independent firm. And I had never considered going independent because I was like, I can't do that. There's too much work. And so when I got off that call, I was like, I can do that. I'm a branch manager. I know how to run a branch. I know how to do a P&L. And so I started looking around and was fortunate enough to find Cambridge and go out and do our due diligence meeting and found the right partner, which helped make the transition a little bit easier. Having been a branch manager, I think that gave me a little more wherewithal to not have the intimidation of running a branch and running a business. But it was scary because I didn't know how long it was going to take to have the revenue start to come in. And so, but I knew we would have some clients that would come and we were fortunate enough that more than I expected came and it took about four months to just really get up and running.
0: Four months, uh, a lifetime ago. So lots of benefits since then. Definitely. You know, one of the biggest questions that come up when I'm talking to people who are considering making that leap is in many ways, they can start to understand quickly the benefits to themselves, but you brought up a couple points about benefits to the clients. How did you explain, or did you, did you feel like it was important to explain to the clients the nuances behind the decision that you were making or Did you keep it much more high level and, you know, the loyal clients that knew your value, regardless, whatever was, whoever was behind
1: you supporting your business, they were just going to follow. What did that look like? That's a, that's a great question. I did feel like at the time we had to do some explaining because Bernie Madoff had been in the news not too long before I had decided to make the decision to go independent. So we talked about the independent space, but those clients had also been with me and over. I don't know, a three or four year period, maybe it wasn't even that long. I answered the phone three different ways and never left my desk, right? And clients weren't happy with the service that the home office was providing. Um, clients weren't happy. So the majority of my clients were very comfortable with following us going independent. and And I think they knew who I was. So they were less worried. And then when I could explain the relationship between Cambridge and NFS and us, and the difference between that and Bernie Madoff, it it made the transition easier.
0: Yeah, great. I think that's good advice. That's one of the things people struggle with the most. So hopefully, some of our listeners that are thinking about finding the the courage and the strategy behind making that transition have gotten a lot of good tips from you right there. So it's certainly often that people who choose to make the decisions that we've talked about thus far do it alone. But in the end, um, I think you know that if you're going to keep growing and thriving, you can't do it alone. So you've got a team that you've built behind you that's helped you in the end come to that from that point forward. Talk about that. What kind of structure did you choose as you formed your growth plan?
1: When I left, I had one employee one employee with me, and uh, she was instrumental in helping me get the business started. She and I had worked together even in my early preschool days, so we had a long history together. It got to the point where she wanted to start thinking about retirement, which through me, I was like, okay, I just always assumed it would be the two of us. We'd go forward together. So I started to look for, for replacement. And after a, a try or two, found the right person. And I now have Brittany Ricky out front, and she greets all of our clients, takes care of all the paperwork, does all the follow-up. She's invaluable to helping the business run smoothly. During that time period, I also met a college student, Brittany Rose, who I, we were working a charity event together. And I mentioned to her if she wanted to do an internship, let me know. And a few months later, she reached out, came on came on board, did an um, internship, and I offered a, her a position. So she worked part time until she graduated. She is now fully licensed with both uh, the FINRA licenses and also her insurance license. So she and I work together on all of our clients. We're positioning it now where. She works with most of the new clients that come on board. We meet with them together. And then I explain that I'm later in my career. And uh, I've got so many clients that I work with already that I want to make sure they're serviced well. And Brittany's been with me eight years now. So that transition has actually gone pretty well. And last year, we had a client come in. And his grandparents were some of my first clients. And then his parents became clients. And I think his parents forced he and his sister to come in and open accounts when they were teenagers. He's now married, has a child, came in for some planning, and he was so passionate about saving and investing that I called him up after the meeting and said, have you ever thought about doing this? And he said, oh, I can't sell. So I said, "Okay, what if we can create a position where you can help support us? And so Josh came on board in September of last year. He's working on his licenses, but I feel like between the four of us, we're going to be able to continue to service clients. And I've also, part of this is, is with help from Cambridge and the succession team, realize that you have to plan for those events that you don't want to plan for. So I know if something were to happen to me and I had to be out of the office or I became incapacitated, that I have a team there that can still take care of the clients.
0: Yeah, you really built a rock solid strategy there, in my opinion. And, you know, you crossed a big milestone recently. You are a premier club member at Cambridge. I know from discussions with you that maybe 10 years ago, you would have thought that was a goal too far. What would you say to the audience with some of the, a couple of the tipping points? Like, what do you do at different stages as you're growing that, that really kind of pushed you through whatever ceiling you might've hit at a period of time in your growth strategy? Oh,
1: part of it, I think is just luck and time in the industry. But I also think part of it is not being afraid to add those team members because one person can only do so much. So to, to bring on people that can help us do all the things that have to be done, and it's gotten with the regulation, it's gotten even more so where we need extra time to, to follow up on things and do the paperwork. And so I would say, don't be afraid to give up some revenue to build out a good team, because every time I've done that, it seems like the revenue continues to grow, and I end up making even more money than I had realized I would do after bringing on a new team member.
0: Same thing, oddly enough, even at Cambridge at this stage of our size, you know, I have to encourage managers sometimes. We sometimes need to hire before we need it because you need to envision that growth and you need to be able to know I'm going to get there. I think a lot of people hesitate and they want the growth before they take that step to hire someone else because it is a little scary, especially when you're smaller. What if you don't grow? I never want to have to lay someone off. What is What if this doesn't work out? So there's a little bit of bravery that has to come with it. But when I see financial professionals hire before they need it, nine times out of 10, the growth will come. So good advice. So let's shift gears. We touched on this just a little bit earlier. The financial services industry is definitely making some progress in terms of diversity, but women still only make up 15 to 20% of all advisors, which... Twenty-four years at Cambridge. I think it's been about it the same. So we're not moving the needle real fast. But how would you advise a
1: woman who was looking to start a career in financial services? That's a, that's a great question. It's definitely not an easy industry to break into. I was very fortunate when I started. I was hired by a female branch manager, and there were two other females in the office. Two two other female advisors. So. I think if I remember correctly, we were four men and four women, which when I started to attend the conferences, I realized was not a normal thing in the industry. I would say if you're a college student today looking to get into the financial planning business, I would look for the opportunity to do an internship, just like Brittany did, um, especially if you can find some, a team in the area where you want to be after college. Getting those introductions, learning about the office, um, hopefully you'll find a team that wants to bring you on board. If you're second career or you're looking to make a change, I think it's a lot harder, but I would suggest talking to family and friends and find out who they're using. talk to your own advisor if you have one and try and get that introduction and look for a team that's going to value bringing on someone new with your strengths.
0: Good advice. I sometimes believe that they shy away because they don't actually know what we do. And they have a different perception than what reality is. A lot of the women I meet, and I know with you too, the ultimate goal is to help people. Right. Right. And I think they just envision a lot of spreadsheets and research and analysis and certainly that's part of it and some somehow you have to get access to that that uh, but that that's not where the fulfillment is, right the fulfillment is helping people. Do you have a story that you could share that made your heart swell when you were able to help one of your clients
1: with something challenging? Oh gosh. I would say one of my one of my first I had, a librarian come in, and she was in her mid-70s, and she had all these different accounts at different places, and we brought everything together, and I, I looked at everything, and I asked her why she was still working, and she said, well, I have to work. I don't have enough income coming in, so as we worked together, I showed her how she could retire and pull income off of her portfolio, and I don't think she thought it was possible that she'd ever be able to retire, so when she actually pulled the trigger and set her date. It made me feel really good about being able to help her do that and realize that she could stop working. Yeah, that's awesome. That's
0: awesome. Great example. And there's so many more. I know you've been doing this a long time. So you know, there's many people that have benefited, but I just think it's a really powerful message to try to get out there to not just women, but anyone that's thinking about our career. So, before you were brave enough to go out on your own, you did some other things within the industry, but how did your knowledge and skills that you learned in some other roles relate to what you do today? How did what, transferable skills? What were the things that you did focus on? In past lives that you brought in and thought you thought were really powerful in helping you reach this level of success,
1: I think there's probably two big things. One is, I think what I experienced early on with uh, my dad's situation, and then my mom remarrying and uh, my stepfather passing away seven years after they got married, I realized how important it is to to plan and have that financial security in the event that things do happen. I think several of those things have made me look at, you know, planning for the the worst while hoping for the best and making sure that those gaps are are covered as best as as we can cover them. Uh, The other, I would say throughout all of my different positions has been people skills. I mean, just learning how to relate to people, learning how to talk to people, and being empathetic and being able to put yourself in their shoes. It, it's not about spreadsheets. It's not about selling. It's all about the client relationships. And I, I think that's made me, that has helped to make me more successful is because I am good at connecting with people. I agree. In our business and in many other businesses, we often talk about
0: risk versus reward. And we've spent a little bit of time already in our conversation talking about this, but we talked about the concepts and the you having the foresight and the bravery and the courage to make the leap, but process is important as well. Were there any Items in the more tactical process environment. As you were deciding to start your own firm, that you think we should share with the audience in terms of, I've made that I'm going to do it. Where do I start? Did you hire a consultant? Was it just simply having to go out and find a building? Like what 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 comes first?
1: Oh, I I will share with you. We had the building because we were working out of an office that I owned, and they had written in the lease that if I left then they could get out of the lease. So I was like, that's great, get out. Um, (laughs) But it's funny, I didn't really, I kind of stumbled into the process. Uh, We, I remember we went to go get our city. No, we went to go get our water turned on for the building under the Cartier financial name. And I didn't know they said, well, in order to get your water turned on, you have to have a business license. So we went to the city to get our business license and they were like, well, you have to get a county license where you can get a city license. So there was a lot in the process that I didn't realize had had to be done. Um, There were other things like, you know, liability insurance and, and workers compensation and all those things that I had not had experience with. Luckily, I had a great insurance agent that helped me with some of those things, but it it was not easy. I will say I was fortunate that the transition team at Cambridge helped a lot as far as the tactical with working on the client side and being ready to navigate the FINRA and SEC regulations and how to go about the process. And I learned that that's different when you're coming from a warehouse versus coming from another independent firm. So there were a couple of of hiccups and challenges there, but I really feel like we were fortunate because I did stumble along the way in the beginning. Yeah, I think you know those of you that forged so early on in that transition
0: maybe didn't have the advantage that there is today, which is Cambridge. And I'm sure you know Google would provide people with a lot of lists, you know checklists. How many times have we seen the article? Right, thinking of going independent. Here's ten things to think about. So maybe it's more overwhelming today than ever about too much information out there, too many different strategies, but sometimes just one foot in front of the other is the answer. So I'm glad we could help. And that was a great segue to my next question, which is let's shift to talking about clients. Your website talks about your holistic approach to working with clients. How does that differentiate you from other financial planners? What does that
1: method entail? How do you approach your process with the clients? I think in today's world, a lot of advisors do take a holistic approach to working with clients. Um, We may be a little bit different in that we don't do a full-blown financial plan right out of the gate. I find that overwhelming. So I guess the clients I attract may find that overwhelming as well. But we tend to bring them in. We tend to help you know talk through everything, kind of figure out where they need help right away, try and take care of that need and then build on that. I know one of the one of the areas that clients seem to struggle with is doing their estate planning, right? That's such an easy thing to procrastinate on. Um also insurance planning. So I I had a client not too long ago that she she and her husband had come in several years ago and we I did a little Uh, pyramid for. And I talked about how at the bottom of the pyramid, they needed their disability insurance, their life insurance, their emergency savings and their estate planning. And we kind of went up the pyramid. And last year she came in and she was so excited because she checked the last thing off the box. She had finally gotten her estate planning done. So I I think just kind of taking it piecemeal for us works well. And then when we bring clients back in for follow-up appointments and annual reviews, there are always those things that we can go to to make sure we're bringing value and making sure that, you know, even things as little as, are their beneficiaries still up to date? Do they need to go review their estate plan again? Things, Things like that. So we always have things where we can facilitate a conversation.
0: How often are you touching your clients? I'm sure they're different depending on, but on average, how frequently are you reaching out just to maybe even just check in?
1: Yeah, it does. It does depend on the client. Um, We're in a pretty small town, so we don't have account minimum. So we've got some small clients. We've got some intergenerational families. So we try and make sure we're touching everybody at least once a year. Um, Some of the smaller, less engaged clients, it's probably once every other year. More engaged clients, we're trying to make sure that we're reaching out on a, you know, six months, Six months, always trying to get them in at least once a year for a full blown appointment. But it really depends if they're if they're making distributions from the portfolio. We tend to touch base a little more, especially in markets like we've got right now. If somebody we know is more skittish with markets, we're reaching out more right now, just trying to touch base. It's been a lot easier with the tools that Cambridge have provided, you know, in today's world with texting, it's real easy to let somebody know you're here and you're thinking about them. And I think it's a great way to keep in touch.
0: Yeah. And what about client events? I know several years ago, pre-COVID, I attended your beautiful anniversary event and there were lots of clients that were there. You probably haven't for a while, but is that something that you've had done in the past more frequently than just on a special occasion? And how does that work?
1: Yes, we do need to get back. We've been talking about that in the office about getting back and doing a Christmas event for clients. So I'm hoping we actually get that done. We're looking at a couple of venues right now. But we have done that in the past. Um, we've done things like a mani-pedi night. Uh, we've done we've rented out the local theater and done uh, live uh, theater production shows. Um, We rented out the movie theater in a neighboring town and and showed a Christmas movie. I was amazed at how many people had not seen It's a Wonderful Life. Really? (laughs) Yes, yes. Everybody Everybody sees that, even, you know, brand new generations. (laughs) That's what I thought. I was surprised. But um, I do love doing the client events because it's a great way to touch. It's a great way to see them and for them to see us on a much more informal, more relaxed basis. Yeah,
0: I like those events from my outside observation because you said something really key earlier about your success, which is that you have the ability to connect with clients and clients, at least in many of the practices and businesses that we serve, that's one of the most important components why they stay and why they're loyal is they see Kelly as a human being in their sphere of influence that cares about their well-being, not just the money lady. And I think that's key. And these events seem to
1: help that. I think that's one of when we talk about risk and reward, I think that's one of the rewarding thing is is when you know you've connected with clients to a point where they come in and they they say such wonderful things about what you've been able to do for them. And uh, you can't put a price on that. You can't put a, a dollar value on that. That's been one of the greatest rewards.
0: Yeah, you do a great job. So shifting again to a new topic, we have you as a member of our Operations Advisory Council. Cambridge is very much about getting what we call voice of the client. So we form these advisory councils in many different ways and operations and service, of course, is a big one. So we value your contributions to that. Thank you for being on that council. Can you give our listeners a little background about Why was it worth it for you to volunteer to spend a little bit of time helping us get better? Help us figure out what your needs were, and maybe others' advice, other advisors' needs. Share with them, you know how you how you leverage that work.
1: I've really enjoyed serving on a couple of the different Cambridge uh, committees and or councils, and the operations council has been the one I've been on the longest, and it's been great. In several different ways, Um, being able to connect directly with the operations team and share the challenges that we're facing out in the field, I think helps Cambridge get better and anything that helps Cambridge get better, helps us get better. Um, And and as Cambridge has grown, there have been some, some peaks and valleys that you guys have had to work through. And I hope the operations team sees that the work that we've done on the council has helped Cambridge get through some of those challenges one of the best things about serving on the council has been getting to know the operations team and having that connection. So if we do have a problem, we can reach out and Cambridge knows who we are and we know the people we're talking to at the other end of the phone. That I think has been one of the best and one of the biggest rewards in in serving on the council is getting to know those people.
0: Well, thank you for, again, your contributions. I think you have hit the nail on the head.
1: We could sit back
0: in our office and talk about and envision what we think is important to our clients, which is you, but there's nothing more valuable than validating that and making sure that we're not spending a ton of energy working on delivering or some sort of technology or changing a process or developing a, a particular form hopefully forms go away sometime (laughs) soon in the future, but still have to deal with that. But just making sure that it works when it arrives to you and it fulfills the needs you and your clients have. We, it makes us better every day. So I appreciate that. All right. Well, we're nearing the end of my podcast here with you, but almost as much fun as hearing how people got in the industry is. What do you do to have fun? Because one of those other obstacles in getting people into our business is that I think they think we're all boring, curmudgeon Don't do anything outside of life. We're working 100 hours a week. You and I both know sometimes it does take those things, but there's also some fun. So what do you do for fun? I know you're involved in your
1: community. Talk about what you do in your free time. I, I have enjoyed being able to serve on a couple of the different charities uh, in town. Two of them are near and dear to my heart. One is the Greater Claremont Cancer Foundation, and I'm one of the founding members. Uh, it was a group of us that had been working with American Cancer Society doing Relay for Life, and we, when we would refer patients up to ACS, they didn't always have the money to give back to the community because they do so much with research. So a group of us started a local foundation, and we were able to give back directly to the cancer patients in town and help them pay some of their bills and sometimes provide some screenings and different things. So that, I think it's going on, gosh, I've lost count, 15, 16 years now. And then the other one, I'm, I'm a newer board member, but it's called Companions for Courage. And I love animals and they work with uh, dogs and we actually have one cat that goes into the courtroom with children or adults that that have our special needs and they help they provide that courage so that they can testify even when they're looking at the perpetrator across the courtroom how cool is that i've never heard of such a thing i don't do that i am not one of the handlers but um i'm fortunate that they find value in having me on the executive committee so it's, it's a really great organization. It was something I didn't know about until I was introduced to them, but it's been growing. We're in several different counties in uh, Central Florida. So it's very rewarding to be a part of something like that. They also do uh, juvenile courts and some of the juvenile facilities and uh, even do adoption court, which is on the more, more pleasant side of what they do. But, it's really yeah. cool. oh,
0: that's really cool. There's probably others out there I've just never heard of it, so that's really great.
1: We get a lot of uh, indications of interest from other areas in the U.S. The first thing that has to be done is you have to pass a law allowing the animals into the court. So judges have to allow it even after the law has been passed. So been it's, it's, wow. it's been pretty interesting uh, learning about more about that world. Well, I know your love for animals. So I think you live with a few,
0: one particular one right now in your life, right? Um, But talk to us about what you do for fun besides volunteering and giving back.
1: Uh, I spend a lot of time with family and friends. I'm blessed to have a lot of family here in town. I've got nieces and nephews and uh, my mom Uh, live in a great neighborhood where we get to get together a lot and uh, over drinks and share what's going on in our worlds. I've really gotten into cooking a lot lately, which has been a lot of fun. I didn't realize how creative you could get with cooking in the kitchen, and I enjoy my downtime being by the pool and reading and uh, working out. So, and I enjoy travel. Travel is probably the the most exciting thing that I do. I've I've been to some great places and have some great friends that I travel with.
0: What about your annual lobster trip? Talk about that because I think that's one of the most fascinating things about you.
1: Well, I did just finish that trip we go down to the Keys as a family every year and my nephew's father-in-law has been doing this since his since he was a teenager and he introduced my nephew to it and they introduced me to it. So we go down every year for uh lobster season first week. Opening week is August the 6th and we pull behind a boat with a snorkel and a mask and when you see the antennas you dive down and do your best to catch a lobster with a stick and a net.
0: (laughs) That sounds so crazy and intimidating to me. So I have just been so impressed when I listen to your stories.
1: It is so, um, it's so challenging. I mean, uh, sometimes you're fighting against the current and it's uh, a great workout and you're out in the sun and out in the water and Sometimes you get to see little nurse sharks out there and you see the, the coral and, and the starfish. It's it's just a whole nother, whole nother world underneath the water. Yeah, I, I agree. So listeners,
0: uh, the moral of the story is there is life beyond <laughs> the office if you choose to take advantage of it. That's for sure. Kelly, uh, before we close, any other last advice you have or something you think you should share with the listeners
1: that I didn't ask you that you think is important for people to know? Oh, gosh, I would just say if you're new and starting out in the business, stick with it. It takes a couple of years to get started, but it's a great career. It can provide a lot of freedom. It can be very rewarding, and it's worth sticking out the hard years. It sure is. You have made it to the top, my friend. So congratulations on all your
0: success. Thank you for trusting Cambridge and with your clients uh, and your work. And you're a great example of Cambridge Stronger. So I'm glad to have you on my podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, Amy. It's been a lot of fun.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app.